Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. on my mind and I'm going to God for you. And this is something that I've tried to adopt even in leadership here um, and, and as a, a discipler to, to, to people. It is good when you let people know that, they, that, you, that they're on your mind and that you are praying for them. So I encourage you today to let someone know that you're praying for them. Let them know that they are on your mind. Um, Paul wants them to know a few things here. He wants them to know that he sees their efforts, that he sees that the culture that they're in He sees that they are holding fast to their faith, and he also sees that in the culture that encourages syncretism, that they are remaining committed to the gospel that was preached to them. And he was thankful to God for the growth that he heard about in them. 1 Thessalonians 5, um, verses 16 through 18, it says to rejoice always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul thanks them and encourages them in this opening uh, text here by letting them know that he is going to God on their behalf. And now he begins to let them know what he is praying for. In verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give, um, that, that he will give you the spirit of wisdom in revelation, in the knowledge of him. Paul prays for the spirit to give wisdom and the revelation in knowledge of who God is. Jesus prays a similar prayer like this uh, in John 17, verse 3. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the, one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Those who know Christ have eternal life, and those who do not know him, they are without eternal life. So what does knowing Christ involve? What does knowing Christ involve? It it involves this. It involves knowing, knowing, I'm sorry, more than just facts about him. See, I love the city of Philadelphia, right? I love it even so much so that I drove 18 hours to find my wife there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, it, 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 just, it just so happened that I happened to marry someone for a city that I so love just from a kid growing up in the Allen Iverson area, era. Um, something about the city just fascinated me. Um, and... I, I just believe even in its ratchetness and its dirtiness, it is one of the greatest cities. <laughs> yeah, I have to watch it. I, I, I don't want the Philadelphia people to, 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 to bomb the stage here. But, um, but I, love, I love this city. I love this city. I've loved it from a kid. Um, and I know a lot of, few, uh, uh, well, a lot of things about it. Um, and, I'll, and I'll name you some. I know that um, it was once the capital of the nation. I know that uh, it was the birthplace of independence. I know that it has one of the world's famous, most delicious, most greatest sandwiches ever, the cheesesteak. I know that it, it, that it has the first zoo, art museum, and um, uh, predominant black church, the AME church. I know that the city has a nickname, the city of brotherly love, right? 
I know that uh, that is the home of four major franchises, the Philadelphia 76ers, although they've, yeah, but um, the Flyers, the Eagles, and the Phillies. I know that this is the home of the first Federal Reserve building. I know that, is it, that it is the first, that it has the first U.S. bank and stock, stock exchange. I know I just schooled some of y'all on a lot of things, and you're welcome. But... For some of you, you may say, man, he knows a lot about Philadelphia. But to be honest, I've only been to the city twice in my life. Most of the things that I know about the city only come from research and my Philly native wife. So if you were to ask me some things about Philadelphia, uh, like how to navigate the city and its public transportation system, which restaurant can you go to in Center City to get a, or the best cup of coffee? Which neighborhood to stay away from? What traffic is like at 5 p.m. on a Wednesday? Where to go and pay a parking ticket when you got a boot put, uh, put on there because you parked in the wrong place? I wouldn't be able to answer these things because I wasn't born there. I do not live there. I have not spent enough time there. I do not have a greater or deeper, deeper knowledge of the city as someone who has grown up there or currently lives there, right? A person who has experienced living in that city. So I don't really know the city of Philadelphia. I'm just a tourist. And I feel as though sometimes we are like that with God. We're a tourist to God. Paul is saying that we need to have a deeper knowledge God. Knowing Christ involves more than a passing acquaintance. Knowing Christ is more than just logical fandom. It's a mutual, a mutual knowledge between two people. It's the same kind of know that is expressed in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 when it states that Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bare Cain. It's a spiritual parallel that Jesus has in mind in describing those who have eternal life. And oftentimes we want to know so much information about God, but we don't really want to or, or have the desire to have an intimate knowledge of who he is. But this is the very thing that Paul is praying for. He's praying that the church will take what they already have, the faith and the love that they are displaying, and that they will grow deeper in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is something we as believers should be praying for ourselves. We should pray that our knowledge of Christ would go from theoretical to experiential. It should go beyond our theology and what we learn about Christ. And just just reading uh, Matthew chapter seven, uh, chapter seven, verses 22 through 23, um, we don't want to end up like this on the day of Jesus Christ. He says on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did not prophesy in your name. Didn't I drive out demons in your name? Didn't I perform or do miracles in your name? And then this is what Jesus says to them. I never knew you. And then he hits you with the bullet, depart from me. I want you to, to note a couple things here. That it is, it is possible to know a lot about God and not know him at all. 
Knowing him and knowing about him are two different, completely different, separate things. Knowledge of Christ is the key of life. When we ought to read scriptures and read, uh, read, read the scriptures and listen to biblical preaching with the eyes of trying to get to know God better. It's important to note, though, that Paul gives us insight on how this can happen, though. As he's praying to the Lord, the God, our Father, he prays that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would do the work here. So what this lets us know is that deep knowledge of Christ can only come as the Holy Spirit ministers it. If you remember in our sermon series possible a few weeks ago through uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, it says this, that now God has revealed th uh, these things to us by the Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So family, we do not want to rely on our own wisdom. We don't want to rely on our own theology. But we must pray that God will give his wisdom and reveal himself to us. Are y'all with me so far? Are y'all with me so far? Yes, amen. Amen. Um, verse 18, he says this. Um, now we're getting into the meat of the prayer, what Paul is praying for. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance? The saints. What Paul is essentially praying for here is a wake up call. Paul prays that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened and he wants it to be enlightened and show them three things here. He wants them to know, number one, what is the hope of his calling? Number two, he wants them to know what is the wealth of the glorious inheritance that is in the saints? And thirdly, he wants them to know what the immeasurable greatness of the power is that Jesus possesses. Now, let's deal with the first part um, of this prayer. He says that, the, that he prays that the eyes of their hearts, the eyes of their hearts, the eyes of their hearts. Some of you are blown away right now at the fact that you have two sets of eyes. You have one in your heart and you have one in your head um, and what Paul is doing here is he's recognizing the need of God's sovereign intervention and, and he petitions him to act on behalf of his people by opening up the human heart to see divine truth I want you to know something today that the heart is the core and center of man's being it's man's innermost self in the sixth uh, beatitude in Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 he says blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God he is praying that our spiritual center can be given spiritual wisdom I'm sorry he's praying that his spiritual th that we will get spiritual vision and spiritual vision to see the three things previously stated number one he says I want them to know the hope of his calling Paul uses the word hope here. He doesn't say wish. 
He doesn't say, I want them to know the wish of his calling. He says, I want them to know the hope of his calling. You may say, well, what is the difference? Let's look at it. When you wish something, it's a feeling or it, it, it feels or, or express a strong desire for something that is not easily attainable. It's when you want something that cannot, prob- uh, or, that cannot or probably will never happen. But hope, on the other hand, is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. It's something that is sure. One of the greatest theologians um, ever, uh, he's quoted by saying this, um, R.C. Sproul, he says, hope is called the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. I wish that such and such uh, would happen, but rather it is what which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. And so as I was thinking about this, it's like I wish that somebody would come up to me and give me a million dollars, just one million. Just, just, uh, just I don't want to be greedy. I just want one million. That's it. One, one million, it'll change my life. But I cannot say that I hope that somebody would give me a million dollars because that is something that is uncertain. But what I can say is that I hope that God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Because biblical, biblical hope is something that Paul is praying for. Paul urges the Ephesians to know the hope that is in the redemptive work of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. He wants the church to have a biblical hope because biblical hope is certain. We must learn to build our hope on things that are eternal. And what is eternal, my friends? The Christ is eternal. The hope of his calling is rooted in Christ's finished Work. The hope that we have is assurance of eternal life guaranteed by the possession of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul prays that we would know the hope that we have that we have been called to, which is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so he wants us to know the hope of his calling. And then secondly, he prays that we would know the wealth of his glorious inheritance that is in the saints. So what is Paul saying here? What he is saying is that we have status. Can y'all shout that out? Say, I got status. I got status. We are the inheritance and we are the wealth of Jesus and our God. He wants the church to know that there is value that is placed on you by God. God's own I'm sorry, God owns the entire universe. He he owns everything. He he. Even messed up, crazy sinners like us, we are his most prized and treasured possession. And a reminder of this precious value that has been put on us is the cross. So let me set someone free today who may be dealing with insecurity, somebody who may be dealing with low self-esteem, someone who may feel as though they have no value today, I want you to be encouraged that there is no greater value for someone or something than to give their life for it. And that is what Christ has done for you. You are valuable and you are treasured. And thirdly, Paul prays that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the might working of his strength. 
Paul wants the church to know a few things here. He wants them to know God's power is immeasurable, meaning that it is limitless. It's incomparable. It's the highest power possible. And as I stated before, um, there was a lot of things going on in this time and paganism was a huge thing at this time. And so he's trying to get them to see that God's power is not just some magical earthly power uh, that just exists, but it is the mighty power of God. And Paul wants us to know that the power that he's talking about is a saving power. Romans uh, chapter one, verse 16, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to to everyone who believes, first the Jew and also to the Greek. And I want you to be encouraged today and I want you to know that no one is beyond God's grace. God's power goes beyond our failures It goes beyond our betrayals, and it goes beyond our inadequacies. His power is is adequate. He also wants us to know that the immeasurable power here that he's talking about is also a sanctifying power. This power helps us live godly lives. And he wants us to know that this power is available for you. It's available for us, and it's for us to use at our advantage. We as Christians can face opposition in our faith only by claiming the power that is availed to us through the Holy Spirit. When we come, when we can overcome earthly challenges with divine power. This knowledge of God's power is to be experiential power. It's to be experienced. God's power does not and will not and never will lie dormant. And so Paul is talking about the power that our God possesses. And he says in verse 20 through 23, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He has subjected everything under his feet. And appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of the one who feels everything in every way. This is so beautiful. The greatest display of this power that Paul is speaking of was seen when God raised Christ from the dead. Just as the highest display of God's love And so the resurrection is the ultimate display of his power. And Paul states that God exercised this power or demonstrated or displayed this power by raising Christ from the dead. Now, this is this is great because nothing greater than this has ever happened before. It's virtually impossible for someone to die and to come back never to die again. The only one to ever do that is Jesus. And so he wants them to see that this is an immeasurable, unlimitless power that he possesses. And after Jesus' triumphant uh, resurrection, he ministered over 40 days, teaching the groups and 
small groups um, about the kingdom of God. Um, and you can find that in Acts chapter 1. But in Acts chapter 8, uh, 1 verse 8, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and all and to all the ends of the earth. So what is Jesus saying here? What Jesus is saying here and what Paul is trying to get the church to understand is that the power that is at work on our behalf is the resurrection power that is able to overpower sin and death. For those once dead to sin, he wants them to know that new life is possible because the because of this divine provision, maintaining our witness before adversities, uh, I'm sorry, ad adversaries and, and, and our hope in adversity, it's not futile or impossible. This is why no one is beyond his grace, because his power is enough to save the worst of the sinners. The power that got Jesus up out of the grave, it is alive in you and it will keep you. And it will sustain you. That is what Paul is trying to convey here. The next part of this verse, Paul continues by saying that this power that was exercised, it also seats him, talking about Jesus, at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but the one to come. I want you to understand what Paul is saying here. Um, the right hand is a metaphor for the position of the highest honor, bliss and glory, authority and power. And Christ's ascension to the father's right hand. In heavenly places. Is utterly glorious is what he's trying to get them to see. It is a super exaltation above everything. Remember in that day, um, there were kings and. Uh, and rulers and deities that the nations honored and that they feared. And so they also taught them that, that these rulers and these kings and these deities, that they controlled their fate, like they controlled uh, the individuals and the nations. And what Paul is trying to do here, he's trying to, to set the record straight. He is letting them know that God has been given victory over all such powers. And in verse 22, he says that he subjected everything under his feet. So be encouraged today, be enlightened today to know that everything angelic, everything demonic or human is under the feet of Jesus. He is the supreme authority. Jesus is the absolute sovereign Lord over the universe. And whatever may seem powerful to you, Christ's power is better and it's greater. Lastly, Paul, the point that uh, Paul is making here, he's saying that he was appointed as head over everything for, for the church, which is his body. The fullness of the one who fills all things in the earth. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying Christ is the head of all things and the church is his body. Jesus our Savior is absolute. He's imperial Lord, the head of all creation, and he has been given to the church as such. And therefore, the church is over all the opposing forces that Christ defeated. Whatever you may be battling with in your life, 
Christ has defeated it. And therefore, it's also under your feet. Why? Because we are his body. The body of Christ actually do share and will share in the resurrection, exaltation, and lordship of the head of the church, which is Jesus. He says that we are his fullness, the one who fills all things in the earth. The church is that which fills Christ up. Who fills the universe? And this is beautiful. I want you to see this here. How can we, how can we be the fullness of the one who created us? We know that he created all things and all things were made for him and by him. And so clearly Jesus does not need us to be complete. But what, but, but maybe you can see it a little clearly here in these metaphors, what Paul is trying to say here. Just as a bridegroom is not complete without a bride, just like a vine is not complete without branches, just like a shepherd is incomplete without sheep, the head, which is Christ, is not complete without his body, which is the church. So Paul is trying to show us a picture that the church is the complement of Christ. Christ's love is so deep for us, family. His love is so deep for us that he sees himself as a groom and complete without us. And yes, he does not need us, but he does want us. He says so in a prayer for all believers in John 17 and 24. He says as he's praying to his father, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I want you to understand today, family, and be encouraged today that Christ conquered all for the benefit of the church. Everything is twice his because he both made it and he also bought it with his own life. Christ longs for you to know him and be hooked up to him in his body. Philippians 3, chapter 10, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Paul is praying this, he says, I want to know him I want to have the same power in my life that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to understand and have a share in his suffering and be like Christ in his death. Is that a prayer that you pray? That you pray for that power that raised Jesus from the dead? Do you pray that you will have understanding and that you will share in the sufferings of Christ because we know those that suffer with him will one day reign with him. That is what Paul is trying to get the Ephesian church to understand. And he's encouraging us today that we are victorious over sin. The power that we display that was displayed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's alive in us. It is the power that reminds us. And it is it and it is his and, and, I'm sorry, and it, and it is the power that our minds are renewed. It is the power that we are new creations in Christ. The Holy Spirit has given us power in this life, and it will allow us to be the salt and light in the world 
that so de desperately needs it. And I want you to know this. This is important. Because the church is Christ's body, Christ can be present in the world through the church. This is powerful. I'm going to say it again. Because Christ is, because we, the church, is, the, is Christ's body, God can be present in the world through his church. And this is a powerful thing. This is the power that is working in the world for the church. It is the only power of God. It is only by the power of God that we are able to withstand the schemes of the enemy. As I close today, and as we reflect over the text, Paul, being the great leader that he is, offers great pastorship. He gives thanks and encouragement and instruction, and then he offers one of the greatest and deepest prayers for the church. As a pastor in this church and, uh, and a, 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 an elder in this church and also our lead pastor, Pastor John, I'm sure he prays this as well. This is something that we pray over you as well, is that you may be enlightened by the immeasurable greatness of the power that is in God and that he has shown and given us through the resurrection, ascension and exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that it's available to you. And the only requirement is that you believe. So I morning, I posed the question. Do you believe in this power? Are the eyes of your heart open? Are you hooked up to Christ's body? And do you know Christ or do you just know a lot of cool, interesting things about him? What is your status today, my friends? Are you enlightened by this great news? I want to today by knowing that we are the church and God gives no other institution this power. We are the church and God gives no other institution this immeasurable great power. And so I leave you with this this morning, Philippians Chapter 2, verse 7 through 11, Paul says, And when he had, had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at every name, every knee will bow in the heaven, on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And, and my friends, I tell you this this morning that the same power that raised him from the dead and that now has him seated at the right hand of his father is working through you, his body, which is the church. And as I stated, the only thing possible or the only thing that we are required to do is to be obedient, to accept or believe in what 
Christ has done for us. There is no greater love that was displayed through the triune God. They all had a plan from the beginning to redeem all that were lost. God the Father sent his only son to a dying world that needed him so desperately. And Jesus willingly gave his life. Willingly gave his life for you and I. And after he gave his life, he ascended to heaven and he gave us his spirit. And that spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, it's alive in you. So what a prayer that, that Paul prays for his people, for his church. And I wonder if you pray the same thing even for your own lives, is that you will understand what the immeasurable greatness of the power that God possesses. Do you believe in this power? This power has the power to save. It has the power to withstand. And it has the power to sustain you. Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.